just reminding you. We have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com. Check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean. Look cool. Have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Greetings, listeners. It is I, T.B. Spitzer, and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hey everyone, it's me, D.B. Spitzer, and on my virtual right, yes, right this week. Dave, how are you doing? Farmer Dave, everyone, everyone, Farmer Dave. I feel that I am on the right side today. Good, good, good. I was thrown off all last week because I was on the left side. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, yeah, no. So you're on my uh, stage left, but yeah, you're right. And uh, we're we're, uh, having a good recording on a Sunday. It's the nicest has been in Oleander in, I don't know, I want to say like early September. And it's it's just nice. It's still cold as heck out. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm wearing like four flannel shirts, but. <laughs> and and there, there's ice on the ground in the morning. Yeah, yeah, there's ice on the ground. Uh, I, I imagine you have to uh, bust the water for the goats uh, in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a icy thing. Uh, uh, Barbacoa and Dusseldorf like to, and uh, I've had to yell at them about it. Not like yell, yell, but be like, hey, you guys need to get to school. Knock it off right now. But they've been running and sliding through the cemetery uh, because of all the grass. And they can just slide on the frosty silver parts. And uh, Dusseldorf is like, I didn't go to school breakfast because I licked, um, I licked, I, I, licking frost off of leaves. And I'm like, that's not breakfast. You need to go to school to get breakfast. Well, second breakfast, because, I mean, those kids are hobbits. They, <laughs> yes. Uh, they're growing children, and they, they eat breakfast here, and then they eat breakfast there. But, yeah, um, it's been frosty. And uh, have you been up to anything new lately? Uh, nothing. I just uh, I got my new, uh, my new uh, Hawaiian shirt that I'm going to wear for uh, John Fromm Day. And oh, cool. That's, that's about it. Yeah, I have a ton of Hawaiian shirts that I've had forever. Uh, I'm just gonna pull one out at random, uh, something out of the Ken Height selection, I believe, and uh, yeah, yeah, just gonna Ken Height for Men of Action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, Ken Height Action Wear, and uh, yeah, no, it's 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 gonna be awesome. It's gonna be awesome. We've got the pineapples ready, and totally unrelated. Oh man, did I get almost no sleep last night? And this is out of nowhere, but I I. I I taught myself how to play piano last night and then stayed up all night playing piano. <laughs> it's just a weird thing that happened, but it's like, oh, I kind of know how to play guitar. I wonder if I can kind of learn how to play piano. 
So I taught myself how to kind of play piano last night. So, yeah, that was interesting. Were you using the Eric Zahn way of, of music theory? Yeah, yeah, I used the tutelage? Eric Zahn playing the uh, play in a day book. And, uh, oh, man, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, that Zahn knows what he's talking about. Um, but yeah, no, just uh, was like busting out some uh, Steely Dan and uh, Dead Milkman and Butthole Surfers. And I was like, huh, this is easy. Music's easy. What, what, what do people, but you know, it's not good, but it's easy. So um, speaking of easy, what are we talking about today that's not that easy to talk about? So we are talking about a couple of things. Oh, good. The Elder Things Ooh. and Airhort. Ooh. Or Earhart or Earhart. I-Hort? I-Hort. I've always said I-Hort. I, I, I hear it so many different ways. Uh, if, if we ask the uh, head of uh, actionware, Ken Hyde Actionware himself, uh, I'm sure he would give us a different uh, name than Robin D. Laws. Maybe, he, maybe we should uh, ask uh, Ramsey. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we're supposed to talk to Ramsey Campbell at some point in time. I'm hoping to. Hoping to soon. So. Me too. Me too. <laughs> but so let's. Uh, we're talking about elder things in Ihort or Ehort this week. Whoa! That's how. That's how you say it in the ancient language of the roosters. Yeah. Thanks, Ralph. Okay. So Ehort it is. Uh, let's see. Um, let's let's uh, let's talk about that. Uh, the that. Ehort thing. What what is it? I mean, it's it's like a big egg on legs. Yes, and so there's several different versions. Uh-huh. But yeah, you'll see if you go in. A lot of it is sort of this like uh, multi-eyed sort of giant egg with a, a bunch of legs, uh, and it's mentioned in uh, uh, Ramsey Campbell's uh, the Franklin paragraph. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I, I think the only really story that he's mentioned in, or really is the center is uh, Before the Storm. Okay. All right. Now, this is part of, of Ramsey Campbell's um, uh, Severin, uh, you know, mythos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you're one real sort of source of him, uh-huh. it is uh, the Chaosium. Uh, the Chaosium uh, supplement for England. Uh, Goatswood? Uh, Goatswood and lesser things. Yeah. Or, uh, so, um, yeah, so uh, uh, he's, of course, the source of book to find out about him as yeah. well as all sort of uh, Cam, uh, Ram, uh, Ramsey Campbell creatures is uh, the, Rele- the Revelations of Glakai. Ooh, yeah. Glocky. I guess it's pronounced Glocky. Sure, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, no. Uh, Revelations of Glocky. Uh, that's, that's, that's the book. It's, it's Ramsey Campbell's Necronomicon. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's his cult ghouls. It's, it'll tell you who's where and what they're up to and what, you know, I mean, I don't think the book says don't read this last book or you'll uh, get your gullet act, but, you know. Some good old Yagullin action. Yes. <laughs> so, so one of the things that Erhort is, I think, sort of different from the the typical Lovecraftian 
you know, outer God. Mm-hmm. Is Earhart gives you a choice. Yeah. And Earhart will either kill you, or kill or you, it, <laughs> or, or basically inject you, whether you're male or female. Yeah. Where you become, um, you know, part of its brew, where basically your body turns into these sort of multi-legged spider things. Yeah. And if you want to lose some sanity points, uh, they're one of the first Chaosium uh, uh, source books. Uh, uh-huh. uh, Out of God has a picture of somebody breaking into all these spiders. It's just literally, yeah, you're going to lose some sanity points looking at that game. Supplement. Yeah. <laughs> but but the thing I was thinking about is, you know, Airport here, he gives you a choice. Yeah. You know, Cthulhu wouldn't give you a choice. No. The deep ones don't. No, no. And, 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 and was I thinking that the difference between Ramsey Campbell and Lovecraft, but, but I have a theory, and this is all Ken, uh, this is all sure, head yeah. canon. But so a couple of theories have come up. One is the Erhor, th- these brute, they're sort of become these spiders and then they hide uh-huh. until human race is pretty much wiped off the face of the earth. Sure, yeah. And, and to Earhart, you know, when I first thought about this, you know, basically forced monster uh-huh. impregnation, I thought Xenomorphs, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so Xenomorphs are, and I think the, their, the mention mm-hmm. is in Franklin Papers predates Alien. Uh-huh. But the story that really talks about them before the storm yeah. comes after the first alien. Okay. So I don't know if Ramsey Campbell was influenced or if this is separate. Sure, sure. But, you know, aliens, so alien, the xenomorph, it sort of either kills you and takes you from biomass mm-hmm. or it impregnates, you know, the human or whatever animal. Yeah, yeah. Um, it makes the choice. Yeah. Erhort lets the victim choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's not, you know, so I'm trying to think of sort of this alien reason. And, and I think the Erhort just thinks this is his great honor. Yeah. And if yeah. you don't want to be part of this great thing that's going to live past the human race, then it doesn't want you. Yeah. And it, yeah, that's, that's definitely true. That's definitely true. That is horrifying. Uh, to say the least, to, to be given the choice of, you know, be a brood of Ihort or die. Um, I, I, I couldn't fathom that choice. But the thing that, uh, oh, man, um, the bi- I, I keep thinking about the biomass. Uh, and uh, the so aliens. here's another thought I have. Real yeah, quickly. yeah, go for it. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go for it. So, so we know that the, the brood of Ihort uh-huh. basically hides until human races wiped off the face yeah. of the earth. Yeah. We know of one other creature. Yeah. And that is the, the, the sort of roach-like creatures that the Yithians are going to possess. Oh, the uh, beetle philosophers? So, or, yeah, yeah. So, are they the same? I don't know. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, no. I mean, that 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 would uh, be kind and of funny. They're saying me. Yeah. Are they me? Oh, you keep breaking up there. Yeah, so you know, I was thinking for, for a second, I was thinking maybe, maybe, maybe the the maybe Earhart is got this sort of sacred duty. Maybe uh-huh. it knows it's not being just monstrous. It knows that this the great race needs some sort of body, if not to live in and yeah. possess, to eat or you know coexist with. Sure, so sure. Maybe from this very alien way that. This creature that we can't even decide how to pronounce mm-hmm. it, it is preserving life on Earth. Interesting. Because, you know, the human race is just sort of this waste. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. It knows. It knows the human race is going to die off. Yeah. And and I, so it's it's not evil. No. Well, <laughs> it's hard to say. It's hard For, to project evil onto uh, the elder thing, or not elder things, uh, uh, yeah. great old ones. And I, I, I was going to say, this is like one of the lesser great old ones there are. It's like physically not that large in comparison to others. And what it does is it just creates. It just creates more of itself. And yeah, and I question this, like, are there more Ihorts somewhere else that are like, yeah, I'm Ihort, die or become part of my brood. And it's just like, we just know of the one in Severn Valley. We don't know of the one in uh, Beijing. We don't know of the one underneath Denver, Colorado. We don't know about the one over in um, uh, Egypt. We don't know about the one in Johannesburg. We don't know about the one in Tanzania uh, or Tasmania or anywhere. Or the town that you're listening to right now. I, I, I feel like Oleander could have an Ihort. <laughs> that explained a few things. It could. <laughs> Yikes. Anyway. But, but yeah, so, so yeah, if, if all these creatures are really some sort of form of alien, except mm-hmm. for maybe Azathoth, yeah. then yeah, it makes sense that there are multiple Ihorts. That, yeah, yeah. That it really is. And, and, and what if the brood of Ihort? Mm-hmm. What if it's not even its children, more of it's like creation? What if Ihort's like a biologist? Yeah, yeah, or I was thinking... And what it's, if... making, it's making the, the same way humans would like split DNA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was thinking maybe it's just a simple kind of like reproduction, asexual reproduction that it just, you know, needs a host and I don't know. <laughs> For its parasitic reproduction, I, I I don't know. It's pretty pretty interesting stuff. I hoard. Uh, I, I I I I feel like there's a limited scope of what you can do, but within that scope, it seems pretty 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 crazy of what you could do with I hoard. Uh, I know we're not doing D and D on D and T, but I I could see uh, like maybe a spider cult being offended by this blasphemous thing and sending adventurers out to go take care of them or uh, someone being like, oh yeah, my brother disappeared uh, in these sewers underneath this uh, weird little town. Can you go find them? (laughs) They got a job as a rat catcher. Anyway, we're not doing D&D on D&D. I think we're done talking about iHort unless there's anything else you can... uh, 
come up with that? I, I, I think we really have. And like I said, other than than the Chaosium books mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, the, the rumors of Ralph as he's warning us that the iHorts uh, coming up, uh, I really think that it's not... It, it, it's well known because of Chaosium. Oh, yeah. That Campbell, best of my knowledge, Campbell really only, you know, showcases them in Before the Storm. Sure. So I think that um, it, it is, it's this lesser known. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. if you are planning on writing, I mean, if you're doing a game and then you know, no one really cares for your friends, but but I'm pretty sure iHeart is still under copyright. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like Cthulhu and stuff. Oh, sure. But um, this, that's the, that idea of a body all of a sudden becoming skeleton, going from the human biomass to the brood biomass. Yeah. That is, and that you don't complete, uh, or a creature doesn't completely die uh-huh, while uh-huh. that's happening. That is just this incredible mind-warping imagery. Yeah, and if you have any ideas, if, if you want to talk to us about how to use iHord or anything like that, message us. Uh, we'll hook you up with something. And all right, everyone, thank you so much. Uh, that was Dave's Corner of the Podcast. Up next, we are going to do that interview part. Dave, who are you talking to this week? So so we're talking uh, to Noah Bundy. Okay. And Noah's talking – Noah is a movie producer. Oh, cool. Or a creator, and he is making – a version of The King in Yellow. Ooh. Neato. Cool. We'll check that out. And after that, we are going to be talking about some elder things in D&D on D&D or how to Cthulhu up your RPG. All right. We'll see you in a few. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know... Uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Thursday. All right. Thank you. So, um, if you, the, one of the, the advantages of not doing it live is DB is a great editor. So if you guys maybe go down to a path or if you sneeze or something, you can always say, Hey, you know, this, oops, I didn't mean to do that. And you're pretty sure he's going to cut it out for you. He won't do it for me, but, but he'll do it for you. <laughs> so, um, normally, uh, what, like I said, uh, I'll just sort of uh, introduce you, and then who you are, and then you can sort of give the details, and then we'll go into the interviews. And when I send this over, um, 
Afterwards, we're going to be doing sort of the other parts of the show uh, for next Thursday uh, and a little bit today. I'll send DB uh, the uh, the Indiegogo link. Okay. So do you um do you know like what's the full episode like kind of going to be like? It's just curious. Yeah. So uh, we are talking about Elder Things and Earhart. Okay. Which is so we're doing we're we're kind of doing an alphabetical order. Um, so, um, yeah, we're into the E's, uh, and uh, like I said, we're going to be recording that probably about an hour or so, so I'm not sure exactly the details. I've got some things, uh, and he'll do some things, and we'll do at least some on how to use them in, like, role-playing games, but, uh, yeah, that's going to be the the rest of the show, but we also sometimes just go off script, like last week, we finished up what we were talking about and went on and talked about, um, Oh, uh, the book of Boba Fett. So, oh yeah, but, I've been watching that. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I wasn't that impressed with the first episode, but the second one had me hooked. Yeah, I think it's like it, you know, it's going like interesting places now. I think like it's like like it took a while, but I think it's like it's starting to get like really good now. Yeah, exactly. They, they they told a story that I'd seen in my head so many times, and now it's into the new stuff. Okay, so, yeah, if you have any questions, just let us know, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and start the interview. All right. So this is the part where I talk to somebody that's not me and not DB, and we are really lucky today that we have uh, Noah Bunyan. Uh, Noah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Noah Bunyan, and I'm directing the um, an upcoming feature film adaptation of uh, The King in Yellow. The, uh, the Robert W. Chambers um, story collection. Uh, excellent, excellent. Um, and um, most of our fans are pretty familiar with Chambers and his influence on Lovecraft, but how did you first come across uh, Chambers, but also uh, The King of Yellow? Well, um, Chambers, I actually, I came across through, um, through Lovecraft. Like, I had, um, I heard of him through that route, basically, um, through, uh, uh, sort of just kind of, um, the cultural kind of, um, osmosis, just, like, kind of wanting to learn more about kind of the world of, um, Lovecraft through various kind of, um, avenues, like, you know, like the movies, the podcasts, the um, the stories themselves. And I kind of um, got introduced to The King in Yellow as a concept. And um, it was uh, something that immediately fascinated, it immediately, it immediately fascinated me. Um, I started a bit, we could cut that, I, or I don't know. Um, it immediately fascinated me just because of how different and weird it was even in the world of lovecraft yeah yeah so uh is this this movie is it a pretty much strict re, uh retelling of the king in yellow the the original story or is this a new interpretation or is this about it's, the play it is um it's pretty much an adaptation of the uh the first four stories of the um king in yellow book um which are the ones that mainly tie into the um, the yellow sign and the play and all that 
mythology. It's actually, um, it's interesting because after those first four stories, it kind of veers off into a different direction that isn't kind of weird fiction horror. It's, um, but like those first four stories, those are the, um, the King and Yellow related ones. The, uh, yeah. Sure. So, um, especially sort of, I've always, I love the repairer reputations. Yes, me, me as well. And, and, and that's almost, if I had to, it's that, I mean, it's obviously weird fiction, but if I had to compare it to anything else, I would say that's 1920s cyberpunk. You know, I was talking about the near future, what the world might be. Uh, so is this set in sort of the universe of the repairer reputations or, or a more modern version? Um, we are sort of, um, we're sort of set in a, in a modern, like, 2022 world, but we try to, um, we try to keep things ambiguous a bit, like, we're, we're trying to sort of, um, imply things, like, in our version of Repair of Reputations, um, we sort of, there is kind of an unreliable narrator element, where we're making it, um, subjective in a way, where certain things will get mentioned, like in the story, and you're not sure, sort of, um, is this the actual world this story is set in, or is this uh, a delusion of the uh, the main character um, in that story, Hildred Castain? I, I so love that trope. Yeah. I, I, I love the unreliable narrator, you know. Is he crazy, or are you, or... I, I love that trope. Thank you, yeah. It's a great trope. It's something I'm really enjoying working with. Now, now, and and in a lot of ways, and and this is just my opinion, I think Chambers is, at least to me, a more visual writer than Lovecraft, and and, and other people definitely get these very specific visualizations from Lovecraft, but in both cases. I would imagine they're kind of hard to put into something like a movie. Uh, how how do you do that? Uh, so I think yes, one of the big difficulties with um, getting Lovecraft or Lovecraftian or just weird fiction like onto film, it's uh, it's translating the concepts. It's um, you have all those um, surreal images, and you either you either have to be very creative with it or have like um like a huge budget but like i think a lot of the time since um lovecraft is starting to become big now um but for decades it was it was not the case and i think uh lovecraftian movies have been a sort of a niche low budget thing for a lot of their existence and i think from that adversity you kind of get a lot of cool and interesting creative things getting made because of how sort of trying to figure out how to translate these things to the screen in a creative and interesting way that creates this the same or a similar effect it would have on like the written page um or you could go the easy way out and just put a bunch of tentacles everywhere which some people like to do you know definitely uh and i think there's a lot of a lot of people out there who think tentacles equal Lovecraft, and that's not necessarily true. Yeah. Um, 
Now, how did, you know, you've told us a little bit about how you found Chambers. How did you learn, or how did you first learn about Lovecraft? Um, I think it's, um, I knew what Lovecraftian was before I knew what Lovecraft was, um, is the way I put it. Um, my first exposure to him actually was probably, um, the old movies, like the, the reanimators from beyond unnameable castle freak type of, um, type of films. And, uh, from the movies, I sort of tried to explore more like, um, where's, where does this stuff come from? I want to get into this because this seems like a really interesting world. I want to know more. And now I've got right next to me, a stack of weird fiction, Lovecraft books on my desk. So I've gotten into it. Got, got in, uh, got into the source. Yeah, the source. So, so for me, I when I grew up in a little town, coastal town in California called Oxnard, California, and the Oxnard, California Library, it had two copies of of Arkham House. Uh, I don't even know which ones. I called them the tan one and the burgundy one. And somehow my mom came across these, and, and she said, "Oh, you got to read these. These are." These are, you know, just amazing. So it was actually my mom who introduced me to, to, um, to Lovecraft. Oh wow! Now, what, what? Uh, maybe just another sort of thought, though. What is? Um, so you were introduced to sort of Lovecraft through the movies. Are there any other non-Lovecraftian horror movies that uh, maybe reach into your your film? Uh, film writing and filmmaking? I mean, it's, uh, I love, um, there's, uh, there's definitely, um, the Italian kind of films from like the seventies and eighties are always something like, like so, kind of, Suspiria. Yes. Just those very dreamlike colorful atmospheres where it's sort of, um, it's more, you're experiencing the movie than watching it. Sure. And it's, and also there's um, uh, David Lynch is something I'm a fan of. Twin Peaks is a okay. show I a show I love. Um, and then just kind of, uh, I mean, what got me into film in the first place, I'd say, is the the Universal monsters, the classics, the uh, very sort of um, big, like kind of operatic kind of. Um, the Frankenstein's and the Dracula's, uh, the the thing from, from the Black the, Lagoon or the creature yeah, from the Black Lagoon. Black Lagoon. I love that movie. That movie is one of my favorite movies, Creature from the Black Lagoon. And which you know, nobody has ever successfully, to my knowledge, been able to tie a Lovecraftian connection. But that so seems to me like you know um, Dagon and the the uh, uh, Shadow over Innsmouth. Uh, do do you find that the Lovecraft or not? I mean, the the Universal movies are influence your your movie making. I think um, with the performances, maybe because I do love a big kind of uh, you know a solid classical kind of performance, like o almost like, theatrical. Theatrical, yes. With our I'd, I'd say, yeah, in that respect. Oh, 
Excellent. And and, and I would assume that uh, that because the play The King in Yellow is so essential to the plot line, that the that I a surrounding it with a theatrical uh, directing and acting style would be very effective. Yeah, I would agree. It's definitely something I've put a lot of thought into, and um, I think it. I think this film is going to come out as something very interesting, very unique, just through these sort of these sort of um, the combination of these different elements into something something unique. Now we know that you're you're probably really deep into this right now. But once you're finished, if there was any um, one one artistic you know uh, project, any type of medium, don't have to worry about copyrights, don't have to worry about a budget. What's your dream project? Well, that is a that's a difficult question. Um, I'd say I'm if I'm sticking to, I think. Uh, just to tie it in, I'll stick to um, a Lovecraft sort of thing. Um, I think uh, Rats in the Walls, I think, is a great Lovecraft story. Just sort of that kind of the dread it creates and that, that house, the uh, the priory in it, and just the the implications of the um, the world underneath the house. One, one of the scariest things I think Lovecraft wrote, and it's almost a throwaway line, is when they realize that the tunnels were dug up, not down. In that story. Yes, I love that line. It's just yeah, yeah that's, that 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 that's that that's just sort of this thing. It's not like a jump scare. Or, you know, it, it's it's there. It's that's a fear that sort of festers inside you. Yeah, it's just um. It's so uh, it's so almost kind of um, like it's it's uncanny. It's like the sort of these casual, inexplicable horrors of that of the um, that that story works so well. Absolutely. So so let's say that somebody is interested. I know that you're. You're doing some uh, finishing up with uh, your movie. How can people listening now support your movie? And we'll include some links, too. Oh, well, we are actually doing a um, crowdfunding campaign for the film right now uh, to um, to uh, get some, some money for some locations and some costumes uh, and uh, various other aspects um, like we would need for... Um, the rest of the production. And um, so that is something we are doing, and we just started running it um, earlier this week. And uh, it is, um, we are, we're also looking into kind of, um, you know, grants um, from film groups and that kind of thing, but specifically crowdfunding is the, um, the way we're going forward at the moment to try and raise some additional funding for the latter latter portion of the movie that we haven't yet shot. Yeah, so just looking what I saw, it seems to me that you've got quite a bit done already. Yeah, I'd say we have um, more than more than half of the film complete. Excellent, excellent. 
And we will, for those who are listening now, we are will include these links into this show, uh, and it's going to be from the time we um, we uh, release this. You have about three weeks or so to to help uh, contribute. Uh, anything else? Maybe you'd like to to say in closing. I uh, just um, it was uh, check out the crowdfunding, and um, it was a pleasure to be on this show. Like I. I enjoyed the interview process. So, uh, well, thank you, uh, and I am yeah. really excited about when you're ready to release this to have you on again. Oh, I I look forward to that. You know, excellent. Thank you. That's a great interview. Well, and now Ralph goes off. I don't know if you just heard him. Oh yeah, I did. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, but that was a, a great interview. So thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, and we'll post it up all of it, DB, but uh, I'm pretty sure this is going to be on the next week's show, uh, which he will either release Wednesday night or Thursday during the daytime. But we'll, 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 we'll set you out and let you know. All right, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Hey, everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Glary. Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20-watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. How are you doing? I hope that break was good for you. I got to get up, stretch my legs, do some calisthenics, drink a cup of coffee. That coffee was copper cow coffee. You knew that was coming. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I relaxed and I thought about elder things and went, you know, they were scientists just like us. They were men. And uh, they deserved good, uh, good coffee, but... Uh, So did uh, Dyer, Lake, and all those guys, but unfortunately, they didn't have good coffee. 
they had not Copper Cow. Um, the Copper Cow ad is over, and if you check in the show notes, um, you can see how to save some money with Copper Cow. Dave, we are talking about elder things in your D&D game, or my D&D game, or uh, that person over there who's listening, that person on the bus who's listening, uh, that person who's making dinner who's listening, your campaign. And I just want to say elder things are awesome for RPGs. It's, it's, I don't know. It's the story in which they come from is like an adventure. It's, it's like they're set up to be monsters or not monsters there. It's, it's like you could even play a game as these guys, um, that, but let's let's talk about the elder things for a moment before we really just start talking about them. So a couple of thoughts before we get too far into gaming. Yeah, yeah. So my first experience with the elder things uh-huh. was actually sort of pre Lovecraft. Was it really Barlow's Guide to Extraterrestrials? Yes, which uh-huh. was a book that I uh, that I checked out of the library. Ralph loves it too. About every three months is Wayne Barlow's you know, Guide to Extraterrestrials. That book was always checked out, and I never got to check it out. <laughs> Until yeah. years later, I found a copy of it on a friend's shelf, and I was like, whoa! <laughs> but, yeah. And, and, and Barlow, called, Barlow refers to them as the old ones. Yeah. Yeah. Which is wrong. <laughs> well, well, and I think there's a couple of mentioned in it where where it, it says that um, Abdul Halim Al Hazarat calls them the old ones. Yeah, yeah. But so yeah, that's my first, and it's a very visual book. And, and anyone is, you know, you can go on and just type in, you know, Wayne Barlow's Guide to Extra Terrestrials uh-huh. and Elder Thing. You can see the very egg paint, eggplant colored creature. Um, and it is my real introduction to what the trope we call the the you know. Uh, starfish-headed alien. Yeah. This 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 alien that is so alien that Lovecraft cornered the market on. Uh, and one thing, um, Barlow. So Lovecraft still lived at a time that they thought that ether possibly exists in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, if which you know if we're doing science fiction, well, who cares? Um, but. Barlow sort of changed it and it was no longer ether. Mm-hmm. It was solar winds that they uh-huh. traveled on. Okay. Cool. Um, so the other th- so yeah, that that was my first and it was a very striking visual uh, experience with uh, uh, the other things. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing is that in um Oh, uh, S.D. Joshi's uh-huh. uh, The Rise and Fall and Rise of the Cthulhu Mythos. Yeah. You know, I was reading, he definitely, he says, you know, it is the elder things mm-hmm. that imprison Cthulhu and, you know, the the, the star spawn. Yeah. And, and I was thinking, Josh, no, wait a minute. Because all these years, you know, I've been told from this Delothian heresy that it was you know, the elder gods. So what I did, I, I was at work, but when I got, got home later, I got a PDF of, um, 
uh, of uh, you know, Mountains of Madness, uh-huh. and I type in Elder, and, and he's absolutely right. Lovecraft says it was the Elder Things that trapped the uh, Cthulhu in the Star Spawn. Oh. Well, so, there's a there's a mystery I've been wondering for a while. Yeah, so, so, so and apparently, and, and maybe we need to talk to, uh, I, maybe we need to talk to Mr. Joshi himself. Yeah. Or, or Ken Hype. Sure, sure. But the, this idea that the Elder Gods have noted, that's Dareth. Okay. Um, but yeah, so when I when I ran through uh, uh, Project Gutenberg's version of Mountains of Madness, I type in the Elder. The Elder Gods, I think, are mentioned a couple times, uh-huh, but they're uh-huh. almost always in, like talking about Zeus and uh-huh. Osiris as man-made gods. Yeah. And, and it's definitely the elder things that trapped the um, uh, the search one. Okay. And, and imprisonment Earth. So that means these are some really powerful creatures. Yeah. That if they can, they can trap Cthulhu here on the Earth. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that could have been before their degeneracy began. <laughs> as uh, yeah. as Lovecraft speaks, that uh, you can tell that artistically they became degenerates, and that my thought has always been, or art styles changed, <laughs> technology oh, yeah, changed. They went from drawing things on walls to walking around with handheld tablets, and it wasn't as big of a uh, uh, visual language wasn't as much of a thing anymore because they had a different type of language or I don't know that's how I've always thought about it with Lovecraft is like oh it's so it, then their society degenerated and it's like yeah maybe drawing on walls wasn't as ma- making uh, carvings into walls or art wasn't as much of a big thing and it changed as it uh, evolved or you know um, yeah but uh, what I wanted to talk about is using elder things in your game and we've talked about them they're the five-sided barrel-shaped cooper's dream starfish-headed uh little wingy ding thick boys uh that uh the dire lake expedition found in antarctica in the 30s late late 20s early 30s in uh lovecraft's continuity in the, the lovecraft mythos and i think it would be really neat in a Dungeons and Dragons game to have like a I don't know a, a functioning Elder Thing city with Shoggoths in tow and stuff like that as kind of like maybe an invading force on your barbarian campaign or your like standard D&D campaign and you know everyone you're you're just sent there to find out what's going on and then maybe later infiltrate or infiltrate a smaller base and then work your way up to, I don't know, trying to get rid of or find out what they're up to. And who knows what they're up to? Maybe they're up to preserving the planet for future generations of their kind by getting rid of large things like Cthulhu that you don't know about or getting rid of that pesky Tarrasque that's gonna wake up in another 200 years that your people don't know about. Or, you know, and anything like that, they, they could be benevolent or malevolent. It's, 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 it's the weird thing about alien cultures. They don't think like us, according to people. I don't know. Maybe they do think like us. Maybe they think like us, but more like us than we know. 
So, so I, I think it sort of hit of that one thing that that Lovecraft points out uh-huh. in, in the Mountain of Madness. Yeah. That there was some identity. These were explorers. They may be completely yeah. alien, but they were explorers. They're adventurers. Yeah. So of, of the alien creatures, they're the ones that in ways identify more with the humans. Sure. Psychologically. Yeah. Now, that doesn't necessarily make them on our side. Yeah. But one thing we also know about the um, the um, the elder things, mm-hmm. they were at war with everybody. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they fight the Yithians, yep. they fight the Migos, uh, they fight the Star Spawn. And, and probably the Flying so Polyps, So I too. definitely see like a... Oh, I'm sorry? No, I said probably the Flying Polyps, too. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, because we know the polyps were fighting the the Yithians. Uh-huh. I, I suspect they're flying polyps. Um, so, basically, the elder things make a great quest giver. Oh, yeah. They can give intelligence. And so if you're doing, say, a Conan or a D&D campaign, mm-hmm. it could be a... Um, Sort of like, um, you know, the Oracle, mm-hmm. where yeah. oh. it sends out like smoke underground, so you don't see it. But you know, you don't know what it is. But it sort of it gives you out the missions to fight these other creatures. And if you're doing a, a, a Call of Cthulhu modern or a, uh-huh. a Delta Dawn, uh-huh. it could be this big giant barrel-chested thing with tentacles in a room full of computer monitors. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they, I think they're great quest givers. Oh, yeah. And they could even, like, picked up some Mego uh, technology along the way and have, like, a proxy human that they use for some reason or uh, even maybe uh, some sort of Yithian technology and have one of their members have their minds inside of a human just so that they have kind of like a uh, face man um, or or forego all of that and just maybe you have uh, an elder thing that's charismatic enough that it's just like able to talk to people and you know it's kind of like their their uh, ambassador to humans and you know people go up there and go oh wow uh, they're they're not monsters they're just doing things and leaving everyone alone maybe they can trade maybe they've got technology that's worth trading and I, I, I think that might be an interesting like D&D kind of thing it's like people are like oh yeah there's these amazing craftsmen far 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 to the north uh, don't be surprised when you see them though they're, they're some sort of plant creature and everyone's gonna expect like a humanoid looking plant creature and then there's these barrel things that can hover and manipulate black slime into like crushing boulders for them and uh, drawing things with their mind into walls that like somehow communicate insane amounts of information uh, you know it's it's elder things their technologies aren't known but what's left of their civilization is kind of known and uh, I don't know. I, I, I think I think with these clues, we we have all kinds of wonderful things that we can speculate, uh, make up in our own heads, uh, create our head cannon for our D and D Shadowrun. 
uh, Boot Hill, I'm, I'm, I, I, Gamma World, uh, <laughs> GURPS <laughs> campaign. Oh, oh, you know, I was thinking, you know, Star Wars or GURPS space. Oh, yeah. You could make the Elder Things, they're, they're this bioengineering race. Yeah. So we know they made the Shoggoth. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't they make a, a living spaceship? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I keep thinking about Star Wars more and more, probably because of the amount of Star Wars I'm consuming on television, about Star Wars in relation to Call of Cthulhu or Dungeons & Dragons, or doing a Call of Cthulhu uh, Star Wars crossover kind of thing and being like, oh, what planet would the Elder Things come from and like how far into the core are they even from, you know... You know, the, the, the galactic, uh, the, the galaxy as we know it. Uh, and like, oh, when do you bring in multidimensional creatures? And is that what makes something truly alien when you've got uh, Rancors and Devonians and uh, you know, you've got all kinds of stuff that's kind of spooky and scary. It's like, well, Mon Calamari. I mean, <laughs> those, those guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, when do you realize that something is more than just a Star Wars species? When is it something that's like truly eldritch? And I don't know, I could see the elder things just being like treated like an ancient race in a galaxy as opposed to like in Call of Cthulhu, how they're treated like just like ancient monsters. And you know, humanity hasn't seen anything other than humanity, so it's not going to be like, oh, oh, okay, all right, they're just scientists. So d d don't worry, guys. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> and vice versa. I mean, it's like the Elder Things. The only aliens they've ever dealt with have been other hostile aliens. Like no one's talking about how the Elder Things and the Yithians like created a truce that lasted for thousands of years and or millions of years and that's why they're both here i mean i don't know yeah absolutely and you know one thing is is, is sort of also mentioned and that you know that that they fly on the ether or the yeah. solar winds yeah. but in the dream house uh -huh. uh uh, our, our, uh, I mean, Dreams of the Witch House. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gilman gets transported to a planet, if not their planet. Yeah. A planet that they colonized. Yeah, a planet that... Uh, and there's a red and a white and a uh, blue star or a yellow star. Yeah. Um, and I think that's sort of interesting that they are, you know, explorers and that they also have, have gate magic. Yeah, yeah. And so you could definitely be part of any type of dimensional game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's interesting. It's like if you take the technologies that the other uh, aliens and the Elder Things have, it's like you have gate magic from the Elder Things and like, I don't know, ethereal flight, which you could even take into being like being able to move through a fourth dimension, which I've always mm -hmm. taken uh, moving through the ether to mean. Uh, in my own head canon. Uh, and, you know, you've got Shoggoths that, you know, bioengineering, and then you've got, like, mind-swapping technologies, and you can call it magic in your game, but you can also call it technology. There's, there's various things that these alien races have 
I don't know, that, that, that are considered spells within uh, Call of Cthulhu, but it's pretty crazy stuff. So, so I did want one question. I got one last question. Oh, sure, sure. For you. What alignment would you give the Elder Things? True neutral. So, yeah, I, I, my first thought was true neutral. Uh-huh. Maybe neutral lawful. Okay. That they follow the laws of science. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I think neutral. And, and Elder Things were one of the first creatures to be made for the um, uh, D&D. Oh, okay. They were part of they were part of the deities and demigods. Oh, and yeah, yeah, example. yeah. And I don't have them, so I'm not sure what they were, but I think they were true neutral in that book. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, um, back when I couldn't use elder things, I used modrons and just said that they were elder things and that they were not biomechanical, that they were made of flesh and just various forms of elder things. And... Uh, as a result, I, I, I kind of messed up elder things for other people, uh, for, for, for some people in high school who confused elder things and Modrons for some time. But yeah, no, it's, that was my quick little workaround. It's like, oh, there's no elder things in D&D, but Modrons could function as uh, elder things. That was just something I did. There's, a, there's also, uh, I don't know if you ever played Torg. No. So Torg is this this game where Earth is attacked by a bunch of different dimensions. Okay, cool. And one of the dimensions that covers up part of uh, the West Coast is is basically sort of this uh, dinosaur, lizard man dimension. Uh But one of the main creatures, including including a a player race... Uh is the stranglers, which are like floating uh, starfish. Ooh, crazy. So it's, it's, it's an elder thing, but basically about the body. Nice. And it, it could, if they were like enemies or attacking, they uh-huh. could float down and drop tendrils and, and strangle people. Cool. Uh, and I always thought that would be sort of cool in a game if, if the elf things could detach their head. Yeah. I think it would be cool to play Elder Things in a D&D campaign, or even a Call of Cthulhu campaign, but yeah. <laughs> play an play a Elder Thing, uh, Elder Thing uh, scientist, or Elder Thing rogue. <laughs> but yeah. Do we have anything else on Elder Things, Dave? Or uh, Elder Thing Warlock. Ooh, Elder Thing Warlock. Yeah, I think we've about covered them. Okay, cool, cool. Well, uh, Elder Things, consider yourself covered. Ihort, you don't have enough stuff to cover. <laughs> Everyone, thank you so much for coming and listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We really appreciate it. You should check out our show, uh, store. I've got some new t-shirts in there. I've got a Narletho t- t-shirt in there and a uh, Black Pharaoh's Curse. Uh, they look like 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 classic rock band t-shirts but they're 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 for narlethev i can't say that word right and we've got a slew of other ones in there buying those shirts help support the show and maybe one of these days i'll give dave some money no we do get some money from ad sales which i do kick to dave once in a while but i want to give dave more money for doing such a good job on this show and i want money so i can upgrade my equipment <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Thank you again, everyone. Come back next week. We're going to have some more stuff. Uh, we really hope you enjoyed the interview. And we really hope you're enjoying the astounding stories of super science that are dropping daily. And if you like those, we can do that again in March. Uh, Dave, anything you have to say before we tread off into that spooky dookie night? Oh, can you night? hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Anything you want to say before we head off into that night, Dave? No, it seems like the, the, the elder gods of the internet are dragging me away, but I'll see you next week. All right, we'll see you then, and bye. Can I get it bye, Dave? Oh, bye. All right, cool. Uh, sounds like you cut out there for a moment. Yeah, I did. It started like beeping or something, so I'm not sure what's going on. Okay.